mud and make a brick and then, brick, uh, then bake it and have it actually survive the elements. Um, how many of you have ever seen a storm hit a building that has bricks on it? You're like, yeah, I've seen the church get hit by a storm. We had almost a tornado last year, and bricks, if they're unified by the mortar, can stand strong. And they can take a beating, too. So this text, if you look at it, even if you were the grass, you can be put into something very, very useful. Today, I'd like to go back to the basics. And I don't mean to um, insult anybody. I don't mean to you know, go back so much that we feel like we're in kindergarten or in crater roll. But I think sometimes those are the best times that we've learned. Um, but I would like to go back and take a look at what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And we have to start sometimes over again. And in the spring, it's a really a wonderful time to do that because we, we start all over. We see the flowers that are coming up. We see the grass that needs to be mowed. And we see all the things that need to be done. And we're like, all right, a new fresh year. So let's bow our heads as we ask God to come into our presence and uh, as we open up God's scripture today that he'll speak to our minds and our hearts. Our Father in heaven, we open up to you this morning and we ask you to speak to us. Dear Father, use the words that I have today in the most blessed way that can be done to speak to our hearts and minds. And dear Father, where I fall short, that you would fill in with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This last week, as I was reading through the Old Testament, I came to a realization that sometimes we have preconceived ideas, and our preconceived ideas sometimes um, derail the belief systems that we have. And so I'm going to turn back here and see if I can get my technology to work. We'll use the clicker this morning. There are many things that we talk about when we talk about basic Christianity. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus Christ. And to follow Jesus Christ, we need to find out who he is. And sometimes a belief in God is just a, yeah, I believe in him. But we need to know where that came from. I wanted to tell you this morning, I believe in God because I read about him in the Bible and I give certain authority to the Bible. And the Bible does, has its own, it does have its own authority. In fact, if you look at just, just the predictions of Jesus Christ, if you only had eight of them, if you only had eight predictions in the Old Testament, which we know that there are many more, I mean, Isaiah alone, I think, has eight of them. If you do the statistics, the mathematics, the prediction of Jesus Christ is infinitesimal infinitesimally impossible to come true. It is impossible for someone to predict one time, maybe two times, but you get to eight to 14 to 20 times predicting that there's going to be Jesus Christ and he shows up just the way that people said and just the time that he said. It is impossible for that to happen, statistically speaking. And the mention of Jesus Christ in history in every single religion out there that, there that is newer, it's impossible for us to believe that Jesus has some kind of influence on the world around us. Jesus is mission, mentioned in Islam. Jesus is mentioned in Buddhism. 
Jesus is mentioned in quite a few other religions, ones that I have studied because some of them uh, is part of my heritage. For Jesus Christ to exist physically on this earth and then for others to mention him over and over again, it is something that we need to pay attention to. Because if Jesus says that he existed in the Bible and the Bible has authority and then you read about it in all of these other publications, something, something needs to be paid attention to. So the basics have to be more than just I believe in Jesus because a lot of people believe in Jesus. Turn your Bibles with me to Psalms chapter 119. Does anybody know what that is? Longest one, longest chapter. Psalms 119, and I'm going to start with 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. I mean, talking about him. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, for I longed for you and your commandments. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen a dog pant. It's usually when they're overheated, but it's also when you have food. When you have food, their tongue comes out, and they look at you with this expectation. Right around 1159, when we get to about that point, I all of a sudden see some of your eyes going, I'm hungry. Your tongue's not panting yet, but you're going, I'm hungry. And some of you will pop in like a mint or you know, maybe a small piece of candy or a gum or something like that, just trying to hold yourselves off. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God, everything that he had was so wonderful that we had that feeling about him and we had that knowledge about him? And if you read on, you'll find out that David likes the statutes and everything else God has because he has a relationship with him. And so when I was reading the Old Testament this last week, I all of a sudden had this thought. Pastor Nelson, are you serving God or is God serving you? That was a question that was very uncomfortable in my life because you know what? I've been a Seventh-day Adventist Christian my entire life. But that question came through loud and clear to me this week. Are you a follower of Christ or is Christ the one that's serving you? That was a serious question that I had to chew over and understand because, man, that was like, I, I don't understand what you're trying to tell me, God. But then I looked at it from my uncle's point of view. My uncle was given a responsibility to build a house. If you're given a responsibility to build a house, where do you start? Most of us, you are like with a realtor. You know, that's the best way to do it. You start with a concept. You go to the blueprints, and then after the blueprints, you go to an architect, and the architect argues with the builder, and the builder argues with the architect what can be done and what really can't be done, and then you lay a foundation. What I'm talking about today is the foundation, the foundation for what we are as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. If you want to believe in God, you have to find a source where God is, and that's not typically going, hi, God, how are you? But it can be. But the source that I have found is the Bible. The Bible is one of those that is, I think today even, it is the best-selling book on the planet still. And we have a lot of books out there. But it's still the, the best-selling book because there is words of hope in it. And it's in the Old Testament, the words of hope. 
because I'd like to go with you this morning to Genesis chapter one. Don't worry, the sermon is not going to cover Genesis to Revelation today, page by page. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, what? Let there be light. How many of you can say, let there be light? and the light appears. You're like, I have that app. That's not what I'm talking about. There's no sun, there's no electricity, there is nothing. And all of a sudden God says, let there be light. And it came to be. I don't know about you, but I have read through almost every kind of publication that talks about gods out there. Not the capital one, but the little G, gods. And I have yet to find a God that says, let there be light. And anything happened. And if you go down, you see that God created everything. And then he called it good. And then he made Adam and Eve. And he called them good. And then what happened? Then Satan... You see, we, we always look at Adam and Eve and we're like, oh, sin started with Adam and Eve. Sin did not start with Adam and Eve. It started with the devil. And it started in heaven. It started in heaven with a thought that I can be better than God or I can become God. Pastor Nelson, are you serving God or is he serving you? I am not God. And so God cannot serve me. In my heart, when I read this, I was like, oh, oh boy, this is a whole paradigm shift. So what is church? What is Sabbath school? What is everything? What, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? I don't understand, God. What are you trying to tell me? And he goes, in the beginning, I created everything. And then I put man and woman in the garden, and they decided that they wouldn't listen to me in one area and that was, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, how many of you, when you're told don't, want to? I'll close my eyes. That's the new nature that we have in us. It's kind of a rebellious nature. But God didn't say it, don't. He said, you won't please. If you look at the language, it's more correct. You won't please. Because I am the creator God. I am the one that created you. And everybody blames Eve, but it wasn't just Eve. It was Adam too. They both ate of it. And when they ate of it, they were upset at the serpent. And they blamed him. But you know what? They were the ones that took the fruit and they ate it. So sometimes we feel like it's in our DNA. It's rewritten for us. We can't help it. But there's a good part to this story. In Genesis chapter 1, we begin in the beginning, that's time, God created, who did it? The heavens and the earth, what he did. God is in time, space, and authority here. Later, all things that were created 
required special attention by the people that he put in the garden as rulers over this earth. How many of you would like to all of a sudden be in charge of the whole world? You're like, nah, not the way it is now. But how would you like to be in charge of the whole world? You have to name all the animals. You have to name all the trees. You have to taste every fruit. I mean, come on. If you're going to name the fruit, you have to taste it. This one is... Sour sop. <laughs> I mean, that's in English, but can you name all the fruits and see why they were named? I know why one of them, it's called custard fruit down in Central America. You put that in the freezer and you eat it afterward. Oh, it tastes like custard. It's so, oh, it's yummy. I know why things got, it, got their names. And in English, they don't quite transfer over some of them. But I remember, I remember naming the animals. I can imagine them naming the animals. I mean, we know the animals around us now, but there were animals then that don't exist today. Can you imagine them just looking at them going, Adam was like, hippopotamus. I mean, it, I don't understand, but anyhow, it would be kind of fun. And then, after all of the animals are named, he looks around and he says, there's typically two of them. It's just me. And in looking that, I said as a pastor, I, well, he's missing that, you know, there's supposed to be female because, you know, if it's male and female and he saw that in all the animals, he's like, well, why not me? Why not God and you? What was missing, Adam, that you had to have somebody else? It's an interesting thing to think about. Don't think about it too hard. You might give yourself a headache. But then God said, well, I've got that covered. Don't worry. Puts him to sleep, operates the first surgery in the Bible, takes a rib from his side, and creates a partner for him. And as he creates the partner, he says, okay, now you have somebody beside you. And as you have somebody beside you, I want you to meet with me every day, and I want you to meet in the cool of the day at the evening with me, and we'll live happily ever after. Did they meet with him happily ever after? No, because they put their hand in the cookie jar. I mean, not the hand in the cookie jar. They put their hand in the tree and stole from the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree did exactly what it was supposed to do, and the serpent was absolutely right. It gave them the knowledge of good, and evil. So if you look at the Bible and you go, well, I, I need to learn about the God that maybe it's proposing. Here you have Adam and Eve. If you touch the fruit, well, it doesn't say touch. If you eat of the fruit, what happens to you? You will die. How would you tell that to somebody who doesn't even know the concept of death? I mean, some of you that are just becoming teenagers or teenagers, how many of you, if I told you what death meant would really understand what I said. Not really. I mean, I don't want to die. I mean, how many of you really want to die? Raise your hand. None of us. But for a teenager or for a young person to understand death, the only time they understand it is when they experience it with a relative. But as we get older, we experience it enough, we realize it's separation. And so when they said, we don't understand and then they disobeyed, did God kill them right away? For those of you who think that the Old Testament is full of a vindictive God, 
I challenge you, did he implement death right away? No. In fact, he proposed the plan of salvation. He said that there will be someone coming that will rescue you from this. And that all you have to do is sacrifice a sheep. And that sheep is a representation of me. And by the way, here's the clothing. It's the sheep that you killed. Or that I killed the first time God did. So you see, in the Old Testament, there is mercy almost in the first five pages of the Bible. So if you look at the Old Testament and you think that, oh, God's just a <laughs> God in the Old Testament, no, mercy right away. So if you look at Genesis, you find out that you have a merciful God that is interacting with people. It's a relationship between God and his people, his creation. And as he has that relationship with his people, he wants to make sure that we have dominion over the earth and that we treat the earth the same way that God treats us. Whoops. Kind of messed that up too, didn't they? <laughs> so do we. So we have to be very careful. And I know that a lot of people want you know, us to save the earth and do this, that, and the other thing and global warming and all this kind of stuff. That is all good. And yes, I want to do my part. But it also says subdue. And that means to use it in a good way. Um, so the earth is not the one that controls us, but we're the ones that take care of the world. So there is some support for taking care of the environment that you're in, because if you don't, I mean, what happens to the environment around you if you don't take care of it? It will eventually get you. It will eventually destroy you. So one of the good things that we learn here is that when God created the heavens and the earth, that he gave us authority over it, and we are responsible for the things that happen here. Later, as he gave us the dominion and as man and woman decided to do maintenance and not maintenance on the earth, um, they learned that their children were to be taught. And when they tried to teach their children about the things that were going to happen in the world, um, you have Cain and Abel. That went really well for them, didn't it? You're like, Pastor, the Bible is depressing. No, it's not. It talks about the good things that happen even though bad things do happen. You have Cain and Abel. What happens to Cain and Abel? Abel serves God. Cain got jealous. Cain killed Abel. In fact, that's kind of a, a sad story, but at the same time, would we do the same thing? But God in his mercy op offers opportunity for Cain. He doesn't just go poof and kill him. He allows him to have a mark, and he is separated. And I don't know how that starts. I mean, you marry your cousins, whatever. I have no idea. Back then, it was a little more pure than what we have nowadays. Um, it's, it is what happened, and all of a sudden, you have this lineage that, that goes off, and God blesses him, which is very odd. A God that is like lightning does not bless people that go against him. But God blesses Cain. And he blesses the offspring of, of Adam and Eve also with Seth and all that kind of stuff. But as we see the devil tainting the history of this world, God handles the people that are tainted by the devil with massive amounts of love and mercy. In fact, it's so wonderful to see this that I had to look up a number of texts and understand you know, how God might really have done this and so I went back to the kind of basics of what things were like in Isaiah. If you'd turn on your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 14. 
I'm going to start with verse 12. So you have a, a, an entity that's going against God, and God could have snuffed it out right away. He's all-powerful. He'd be like, I wish I never created you. Poof, you're gone. But in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down from the ground, you have weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation in the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So the devil started this and kind of infected Adam and Eve. It would not be a virus that he infected them with. It would be an ideology. And that ideology is something that um, would be very corrupting. He gave them a list of things that they should do that would keep them from being like everybody else and giving themselves over to the devil. We called them the Ten Commandments, but there were more. There were a lot of things there, and those were Ten Commandments of hope. They were not a vindictive, you better keep these or you die. They are, this is the pledge that I have for you. You are my children, and I am your God. If you serve with someone and you are loving them and you know them to be the one that God has chosen for you, you will adhere to these things because God has spoken. How many of you, if you knew the president of the United States was coming, would just go and say, hey, how you doing? What would you be met with? How many of you would run up to the president and be like, hey, how you doing? What would you, I, I, my son is raising his hand. He probably would. He's a very outgoing person. But what would you be stopped by? Secret service, because they want to know your intent. Are you harmful or not? We have to handle the world like that right now because we do not know who is of the devil and who is of God without looking in the scripture and finding out what the character of God is like. So if you look and you see the character of God is vindictive, you'd be afraid to serve him. If you find out he's too loving, you wouldn't do anything because he won't require you. But if you find out he wants a personal relationship with you and he is expecting some things, you'll bend over backwards to do it because he is the loving God of the universe. So we have to start at that point. If he is the loving God of the universe and he kept Adam and Eve and he didn't kill them and he didn't kill Cain right away, he is a loving God. He put this thing into order that he will send someone and it will be Jesus later on we find out. We find out that he's going to send him and take care of us and take care of the penalty for the sin because the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where God intervenes and says, that's what I want to do for you. We have learned that God created the earth and everything out there. He established a relationship and a bond with his creation. The devil, Lucifer, Satan, lied about the heart of God and said that he's evil. And he enabled Adam and Eve to go against and doubt God. He enabled Cain to kill his brother. And he said, don't worry about it. God's just a, yeah, he's not even nice. Sin infiltrated so much that all of a sudden we started focusing on sin and we were worried about what we do and don't do because if you're worried about what you do and don't do in a relationship, you don't have a relationship. You have something called fear. 
and it's not the healthy kind. You have something that is bringing you down. It is something that is not pure, something that is not of God, because you are not looking at life the way you should, and that is with love and respect. The devil brings it in. He says all the time, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to come to God. You're not good enough because, you know what? God's not one of those that's gonna forgive what you did. Be like, oh. And then there's the other side to it. God's forgiving so much that you can do whatever you want and you just ask confession afterward and you're good. It's not what it's about. It's about the relationship that he has with us and he wants us to be close to him at all times. And the things that we clutter our lives with, those are the things that are damaging to us. I have a lot of people now talking about sin, whether it's good or evil, you know, all this kind of stuff. The concentration of what we are as Christians is not on sin. It's about the relationship we have with God. The relationship we have with God is not like the relationships we have here. Seems like they're only temporary nowadays. But the relationships we have here do not dictate to God what our relationship with him should be. Because, you know, the one that I'm reminded of right now, God pursued us in a way that I can't even fathom. He follows us and knows that we're even going and becoming a person that is betraying him in every way. And he says, you know what? I do care about that, but I'm going to pursue you because I want a response from you. I want you not only to confess, but I want you to be in relationship with me yet again. God says you've laid low the nations because he knows what he has done. And he knows all the bad things that are about to happen to even God's people. But he makes sure that God's people are taken care of during this time. So he sends Jesus Christ to hang on the cross to pay for it all. And as he paid for it all, he started a church basically. That early church was in Rome, and Rome, I don't know how many of you, as we're closing today, how many of you understand what Rome was like during that time? We always be like, oh, you know, it was nice, and the Roman Empire, and, you know, there was lots of shields and soldiers and, you know, all this kind of stuff, and I don't know. I mean, what do you want to know, Pastor? The environment that they lived in during that time was worse than it is now worse if you had a child and you didn't want that child you could take it and expose it that means you could put a little thing of weights around its neck and toss it into the river or you could take it and let the wild animals eat it or you had to protect your children if you loved them on the way to school and back because the people that were predators were waiting for your children on the way to school and you had to pay protectors to protect your children. You think we're in a bad part right now? You're like, oh, the world's terrible. It was worse. If you look at Pompeii, if you look at the things that happened in Pompeii, it was ridiculous. I know there's an island that we've been hearing about here, too, uh, off the shores of the United States and how the things are really bad that happened there. But if you look at the things that happened in Pompeii, they were just as bad and worse. So what the... Bible was written in the New Testament, all of the things that were being written, the time period was worse than it is now. And yet, the people were worshiping God and saying, praise him because he has freed us. 
I used to be a slave. I am no longer a slave. I used to work in this type of work, and I no longer work there. I used to be in this temple where they did. Oh, we won't even mention, but God has saved me from that. I used to be a slave because my family was taken into captivity, and I am free now. And they spread the news of Jesus Christ like hot fire. It went everywhere when everything's dry. We always talk about sin. We always worry about the next thing that's going to hit us. But when we think about where the church was back then and all the things that were around it, it is worse than it is now. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to turn to three verses as we end. Galatians chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritually there, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. So if you believe that you come to Christ and you're never tempted again, well, here it is, you are. But as a church congregation, if you find someone is in error, don't go and point out their error. They already know it. But it says, come alongside of them and make sure that you're not tempted, but that you lift them up. We can start with prayer, but you can't just stop with prayer. You have to go to the person and be like, I'm here to support you. Okay? And mean it. Romans chapter 6. And verse 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I think this is amazing. A lot of people have misconstrued this and said, look, pastor, you have to be perfect. No, 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 no. It says submit to God. Submit to God. And all this other stuff It'll come eventually, don't worry about it, but your concentration has to be to submitting to God. When you submit to someone, you're saying, I will be your forever friend. How many limitations do you put on your good friends? Well, pastor, why would I put any limitations on my friends? They're my friends. Exactly. That's how the relationship with God is. He doesn't put the expectations on us. He just asks us. And we gladly, gladly will do things because we love him. Our next one, our last one here, is Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Oh, that's Jesus. He can sympathize. He lived in the time of Rome. And he was killed by his very own people in Roman style. But it was at all points he was tempted as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. If you think that you are too far gone and God cannot rescue you and that your beliefs are totally in opposite of what the Bible teaches, you go to him and he says, you know what? I experienced a lot of what you're talking about. 
I want you to know that I will forgive you. And then he tells us, like Mary, go and sin no more. But God, I, I can't, I've got to, no, you don't. I'm with you to the end of the age. I will be right there with you. Because if I'm the high priest, I give forgiveness. I don't withhold forgiveness. I give it out freely. So the basics, I believe God is the creator. I believe God is the one who works in the Bible to encourage us to follow him. I believe I have a choice to make that every day, every second, I need to follow God. I choose God. I am no longer living. I do not have to do the things that I think I need to do, but Christ lives in me, so I myself, well, I'm going to follow him. 1 John 3, 6-7 says, Whoever abide in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. How many of you have ever practiced something and always made mistakes? <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, I know what practicing is like. I've been practicing my entire life. It says, even resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say become perfect. He says, I want you in relationship so that you call out my name, and I will send an angel. What happened when God sent an angel in the New Testament? A number of times. What happens when God sends an angel? Miracles happen. A legion of tough soldiers becomes running and screaming or just dead, dead looking. The devil flees. The light comes and everybody is like, ah, chains fall off. People walk through walls. People escape prison. Earthquakes happen, all of that, just because they called upon the name of Jesus. Why don't we call on the name of Jesus anymore? We need to. In the era that we live in, we need to call out the name of Jesus because the basics say that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And that's taken from James 4, verse 7. The basics of the Bible are a healthy two-way relationship built on choosing to follow God. God does not do everything for us. He gives us the ability to do things on our own. That is a theology that is not supported in the Bible, that God does absolutely everything for you. He says you need to respond, because if you don't respond, how can he change your heart and mind without your permission? I think one of the best things in my life, when I remember a story, there was a story, I think, let me see here. It was from Sermon Central, August 5, uh, 2010. And it was called, Who's Your Daddy? Which, that has negative uh, things nowadays. But this one is an actual true story that says, I want to know, who is your father? A seminary professor was vacationing with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. The morning, he was eating breakfast in a little restaurant, hoping to enjoy a quiet family meal, you know, without interruptions. And while waiting for their food, they, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired gentleman moving about the tables, visiting with the guests. The professor leaned over and whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. But sure enough, the man came over to their table, and they said, where are you from, you folks? And he said, well... I'm from Oklahoma. Ah, oh, great to have you here in Tennessee, the stranger said. What do you do for a living? <clears throat> I teach in the seminary. <laughs> so, you're teaching preachers to preach, do you? 
Well, I've got a really good story. And uh, with that, the gentleman pulled a chair up and the professor groaned in his mind because he was like, <laughs> a three-minute three exchange just turned into I don't even know what. I'm on vacation. Please go away. The man started to see that mountain over there. He pointed out the restaurant window. Not far from there in the base of the mountain, there was a little boy who was born to an unwed mother. He had a hard time growing up because every place he went, he was always asked the same question. Hey, boy, who's your daddy? Whether he was at school, the grocery store, church, no matter where he was, hey, boy, who's your daddy? He would hide at recess and lunchtime from the other students. He would avoid going to the stores because the question hurt him really bad because his mom never told him. She didn't know. When he was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to the church. He would always go in late and slip out early to avoid hearing the question, hey boy, who's your daddy? But one day the new preacher sent a benediction so fast and he caught up with the young man as he was walking trying to get out of the crowd. Just about the same time he got to the back door, the preacher was there shaking his hand. Not knowing anything about him, he put out his hand and put it on his shoulder, I mean, and he said, son, what? Who's your daddy? The new preacher thought about it and sensed the situation around him and using his discernment only the Holy Spirit could give at that time, he said the following thing to the little scared boy. Wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. Do you understand that it doesn't matter who you are when you come to church this morning? That if you look in these scriptures and you see the creator God, that he sees you and says, you know what? I know who you are. There's some family resemblance there because I created all of mankind. I know who you are. You're a child of God. So if you're struggling with things today, and some of you aren't, you're like, man, it's spring. I am not struggling through anything right now. I'm having a great day. I'm glad for that. But those of you who are maybe struggling today or listening today, and you say, oh man, everything's a wreck and I don't even know what I believe and I don't even know who I am. I want you to know you are a child of the king. And not only are you a child of the king, but that you know who your father is and your father is the one in heaven. You see, the potential for each one of us is wrapped up in who your father is. Your potential is not wrapped up in what you have done or what you will done. Man, that's terrible English. What you have done or what you are doing right now or what you will do in the future, but it is wrapped up in who your heavenly father is. Some of you have never met him or some of you are scared of him or some of you think that he's judgmental. You need to look and see in the Bible and see that he is a good God. Do you believe in the authority of God and his life? Do you believe in the authority of the scripture that will give you life? Do you choose God in every way that you do life? If you choose God, I guarantee you that God will get you through. You are a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. And I told you a little mishap. Would you look up one final text? Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven you.